about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign God, the one who truly reigns over all hearts and all lives and all things. Uh, We pray that you would give us insight again this morning, that we might know you through your word and live as people who have the obedience that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right. Uh, Habakkuk. Yeah. 1B, 3Ks, Habakkuk, 1B, 3Ks. Uh, if you can find it in your Bible, that'd be great. We're doing over the, the last, last week and the next few weeks, uh, snapshots of these, what we call the minor prophets. Minor not because they sing in a sad key, although that's often true, uh, but just because the books are shorter. Not less important, like short people, not less important, but just shorter in length. So Habakkuk, Uh, what you need to know about Habakkuk is that he spoke to God's people. He was an Israelite and he was speaking in the years where the kingdom had split, Israel and Judah, the 10 tribes and the two tribes. He was mostly speaking uh, to the 10 tribes, but the other guys would have heard about him. It was a time when Israel didn't have their own king or the kings that they had were under the power of foreign kings. Israel were longing for God to restore the kingdom, for Israel to be what it used to be under King David and King Solomon, longing for the Messiah, the promised king. Now, we know that that's Jesus, but Habakkuk didn't know that. And if you had your head switched on while we read those two readings, you will have noticed that Habakkuk 2 verse 5, the righteous will live by faith, is picked up by Paul in Romans 1 to say, this is the gospel. So whenever we read the Old Testament, we want to read it as it is in the time that it was heard and said, but with an eye for the big story that goes from beginning of creation to the end when God brings all things under Jesus' headship, seen through the lens of the cross, God's main act in history. So what does Habakkuk have to do with that? Habakkuk, the temptation is when you read it to think it's very personal. There are some of the prophets, we're going to read Hosea in a couple of weeks, where it's, it's a very personal story, where it's an intimate, heartfelt cry of a person who is mourning the state of their relationship with God. But that's not Habakkuk. Habakkuk's more of a geopolitical cry for help to God. Now, if only there'd been some turmoil or uproar in the world this week that I could refer to, to kind of do with politics and nations... Uh, In lieu of that, I'll just talk about the American election. Uh, Habakkuk's cry is, essentially in chapter 1, God, how come you use evil nations? How How is it right for you, the pure God, to use evil nations to do your bidding? Let's have a look at Habakkuk's complaint in chapter 1. Uh, if you've got a pew Bible, not that we have pews, but we call these pew Bibles because they're the ones in the church. Uh, page 929, 929. 
Habakkuk cries out in verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I cry for help, but you don't listen? As I said, it's tempting to think that this is a personal cry, and let's just be honest, if you've been a Christian for a little while or lived in the world for a little while, there'll be times when you will have thought, Far out, God! What are you doing? What are you doing in my life? That this thing that I desire that's good and right, you don't seem to be giving to me. Now, that's not exactly Habakkuk's cry. Even though you might be feeling that, you might have felt that, and if you haven't, there will be a time when you feel it. But Habakkuk's cry is broader. How long must I call for help but you don't listen or cry out to you, there's violence in the world but you don't save? Habakkuk says in chapter 1 verse 3, there's no justice in the world. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are right in front of me. There's strife and conflict everywhere. It doesn't take much for you or I to look at the world around us and see Habakkuk's point. There is no justice in the world. If we shared the wealth of the world, there wouldn't be kids dying of malnutrition. If we shared the resources of the world, there wouldn't be oppression. Where is justice? But God's answer to Habakkuk and to us as we look on Israel's time of oppression is not just, they're there, it'll be okay. You know what you naturally say to a friend, they're there, it'll be okay. Habakkuk's view of God is bigger than that. And the word of the Lord to Israel is bigger than that. It's a word about God's sovereignty. God says, look, see there in verse 5, look at the nations, watch, be utterly amazed because I'm going to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe, even if you were told. What's the amazing thing? God's going to use evil Babylon. I say Babylon, you say boo. Okay, Babylon are the evil guys. They're the enemies of God's people. They're the ones who sacrifice children to Molech. They're the evil guys. But God says in verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, watch out, the Babylonians are coming. God takes ownership. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. God's in charge, even of the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They're feared and dreaded, a law to themselves. They promote their own honour. You might be thinking of nations like this in the world. Nations like this through history. There are myriad. Their horses, verse 8, are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. 
And as we get to verse 10, if you've got your Bible goggles on, the words of chapter 1, verse 10, echo the words of Psalm 2, where God says, look at the world. People scoff at kings, but I'm going to put my king on the throne. Look at verse 10. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. This is Babylon. Building earthen ramps and capturing them. They sweep past like the wind. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Babylon is seriously scary as a nation. They were the superpower of their day. There was no UN to keep them in check. They just did whatever they wanted. But God is saying, I'm raising them up. They are mine to use. And so Habakkuk quite rightly complains in the second half of chapter 1. How can you, how can you be good, God, and use evil Babylon? Have a look at verse 12. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? Aren't you the real God, Habakkuk says. Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment. You've got to read it with that, that voice. You've, you've appointed them to execute judgment? Surely if God was good, he'd use Israel to punish the nations, the ones who don't fear God. But no. Habakkuk says in the second half of verse 12, O rock, you have ordained them to punish Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. This is what what happens when God's people cry out to him. They remember his character. This is what you do when you pray. Our Father. Our Father in heaven, Jesus taught us to pray. We remember God's character. We remember his power. His holiness. You are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And Habakkuk's question in verse 13 is, why, why then? Why can you, how can you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while these wicked people swallow up nations more righteous than themselves? The second half of chapter 1 is full of this picture of fish in a net, which if you haven't been fishing for a while or if you're a terrible fisherman like me, this will not mean much to you. But, you know, imagine the scene. There's lots of fish in a net. That's pretty much the picture. (laughs) Habakkuk says, verse 14, You've made people like fish in the sea, like sea creatures. There's no ruler. The evil guy pulls up all of them with hooks and catches them in his net. Are you picturing people caught up in a net? He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. So he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his net. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Now, the question at the end of the chapter is, is he going to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy. It's as if Babylon is sweeping through the nations, gathering up people and catching them and saying, aha, I'm awesome. Is God just going to use Babylon so that 
Israel, his cherished people, are punished? Well, the short answer is yes. But that's not the whole story. There's two more chapters. Habakkuk says in chapter 2, I'll stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. Can you picture him standing on the edge of the city, looking what's coming? I'll look to see what God will say and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. How can God use evil? How can the holy God be associated with what is wrong? And so if you're following along with the headings, chapter 2 verse 2, the Lord answers Habakkuk. Write this down. Make it obvious, he says, so that the news can be spread, so that a herald can run with it. The revelation awaits. The heart of Habakkuk is there in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is, if you kind of split the book in half, this is pretty much the middle. This is what Habakkuk has to teach us. It's that verse that Paul picks up in Romans. It's a contrast between someone who's puffed up and someone who trusts God. See, Habakkuk says, talking about Babylon, he is puffed up. He thinks he's awesome because he's strong. But his desires are not upright. And the contrast is, but the righteous will live by his faith. Puffed up or living by faith. These are the two categories that God has for people in his world. Those who say, I'll do it in my own strength. Or those who trust the Lord who made them. This is Israel's plight. Will they do their living in exile? Will they try and geopolitically manoeuvre themselves to regain a kingdom? Will they be like Babylon, puffed up with an awesome dragnet? Or will they be those who are righteous by trusting God? It's almost an aside in chapter 2, verse 5. Those little dashes tell you it's a word to the side. See, he's puffed up, his desires are not upright, but his righteous will live by faith. And then Habakkuk goes on describing what Babylon is like, what those who do things by their own strength are like. Wine betrays him, arrogant, never at rest, greedy as the grave and like death, never satisfied gathering to himself all the nations and taking captive all the peoples. It's this picture of an insatiable fire, wanting more and more. And when you set yourself up as the arbiter of the centre of your world, this is what it's like. This is why capitalism and worship of self is ultimately futile. Because when you get the things that you've been desiring, you're not happy. You just want something else. Like death, you're never satisfied. There's always more to get. I was trying to teach this to our kids this week. Josh wanted some Pokemon cards and he got them and he wasn't satisfied. I mean, he enjoyed them for about 10 minutes and then he wanted more. I was like, yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? You think that having the thing that you want will make you happy. And it does, like, 
maybe a bit for a moment, but then you just want more. That's a hard lesson to learn. Maybe maybe you've experienced that with cars and houses. You want it, and then you get it, and then you're not satisfied. That is Babylon. That is the rule of self, the heart that always seeks for itself. And Habakkuk says, that's no way to live. The call of woe, not a Keanu Reeves kind of, whoa, that's awesome. But the justice of God is going to unfold on you. There in verse 6, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Those who've done the wrong thing will get justice. Verse 8 says, you've plundered many nations. You've shared man's blood. You've destroyed lands and cities. Woe, verse 9. Woe, verse 12. Woe, verse 15. Justice is coming. And the picture there is that the cup from the Lord's right hand, down in verse 16, the cup of God's wrath is coming around to you and nothing can hide your shame and disgrace. It's one of those moments when the Old Testament tells it like it is. When your friend picks up the Bible and opens up to Habakkuk and they say, isn't God just a God of punishing evil? Isn't this just the nasty, angry God of the Old Testament? It certainly looks like that. But this is the justice that oppressed people yearn for. That the nations that do wrong will get what's coming for them. And the heart of every creature who lives in God's world but doesn't recognise him is that whatever they're pursuing is an idol. We don't make much of idols in our culture in Australia. You might see them sometimes when you go and order Thai food. But in Habakkuk's day, idols were the way that you showed the people around who you worshipped and who you followed. Israel were told, don't have any idols. Because the Lord can't be pictured. He's too great, too awesome. That you can't just make something and say, this is your God, that's kind of pathetic. See, at the end of chapter 2 in verse 18, what's that, what's it, what good is an idol, Habakkuk says, since a man carved it? Or an image that teaches? Because the one who makes it trusts the thing he made. Idols are stupid, Habakkuk says. Because you make them and then you call them God. That's dopey. It's like trying to say to a stone, verse 19, hey, wake up. Even if it's covered with gold and silver, it's not alive. And chapter 2 ends with the picture of God as he really is. The Lord is in his holy temple and the earth should be silent and tremble before him. See, in all the prophets of the Old Testament, they say, this is what's going on, but remember who God is. 
That was Jesus' point to the people of his day. You've forgotten who God is. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord will bring justice, even to nations. And so Habakkuk's response in chapter 3, as he winds up his prophecy to Israel, is a prayer. The response to not knowing what God is doing in the world is prayer. Crying out to God is the way to respond when things are terrible. It's a good reminder to us, isn't it? Scripture endorses, the Bible says the right thing to do is to cry out to God. Some people think, oh, I shouldn't cry out to God, what are you doing? Because that might be distrusting him. No, it's actually trusting God to pray to him and say, God, what are you doing? Because it's a recognition that you think God is in charge. It's the right thing to do to cry out to God. Let me say that again. When you look at the world, the right thing to do The cry of faith is to cry out to God. What are you doing, Lord? And whenever you cry out to God, what we're meant to do, what Habakkuk models for us, is to remember who God is by what he's done. Chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I remember what you're like, Lord. The theory doesn't match the practice at the moment. What are you doing? And chapter 3 tells this story of the great things that God has done. How God ripped his people out of Israel and trampled down the Egyptians. That great show of God's superiority over the gods of Israel. 3 verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in the heavens. God controls everything. In wrath, you strode through the earth and threshed the nations. You delivered your people to save your anointed one. 3 verse 13, you came to save your anointed one. Habakkuk's talking about when God rescued Egypt out of Israel. But you can see how we, when we read it, see how God's anointed one is not just Israel in the Old Testament, but His anointed one is Jesus. Jesus was anointed, declared to be king at his baptism and again at his transfiguration. And when we read Habakkuk, we see how God's plan was always to rescue his anointed one, not from geopolitical injustice. God didn't save Jesus from the political injustice of Pontius Pilate, but he rescued him from the grave. Habakkuk's prayer of chapter 3 recognises that even when things are terrible, you can trust the God who's in charge of everything. The bit that Vic read at the end, have a look at it, verse 17 of chapter 3, says, even though things are terrible, I'm still going to trust God. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails... And the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep and no cattle in the stalls. I'm walking away from you, God, because you can't do what you promised. That's not what Habakkuk says. He says, despite the lack of justice now, 
verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my saviour, because the sovereign Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Now that may not be attractive to you. You may not want the feet of a deer. Cloven hoof, kind of dirty. But the point is that when you feel like you are stuck in the sloth of despond, God makes our feet like the feet of a deer. Habakkuk says, though everything seems futile, though there is injustice, not just in my life, but in my world, I recognise that God is in charge of nations, that he can raise up Babylon, and I'll rejoice in the Lord, not because everything's going well, but because I know the character of my God. I know what he has done, and so I know what he will do. The message of Habakkuk is, when the world is in turmoil and you're crying out for justice, remember that God can use evil to bring about his purposes. That's what he has done and that's what he will continue to do. Now, what to say about Donald Trump? Is he evil personified? Some would say so. Some would say the same thing about Hillary Clinton. But no, Donald Trump's no more evil than any other person who's set by God to rule over a country in the world. Perhaps his character is more evident than some who've gone before him. But Christians here, there, everywhere, don't rejoice or tremble at their leaders politically because we know that all the authorities have been put there by God. And even if we get a Prime Minister or a government that makes Christianity illegal, not just scripture being stopped taught in schools, but imagine if in Australia it was suddenly illegal to meet together on a Sunday. Imagine if you weren't allowed to talk about Jesus at your workplace. Because that was hate speech. Some people are predicting that this will happen in the next 10, 15 years in Australia. You won't be able to talk about your faith in the public sphere. There are guys who've been arrested in the last couple of months for street preaching in the Gold Coast. If this happens in our nation, in our world, we can say with Habakkuk, I can still rejoice in the Lord because I know he uses all forces to bring about his plan. When we see the cross of Jesus, we know that God uses evil to bring about good. Do you remember Genesis? When we talked about Joseph, Genesis 50 verse 20, easy to remember, 50, 20. He says to Joseph, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many people. Habakkuk says, the righteous will live by faith. And that's our gospel, that you, the unrighteous, me, the unrighteous, we can live by faith, which is a gift from God. So when we cry out that the world is unjust, we can say we will rejoice in the Lord. We'll be joyful in God our Saviour because we know who he is. We know what he has done and we know what he will do.
Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign in your world. And we thank you for uh, your word which teaches us the beginning and the end. That you are the beginning and the end. That all things in this world, good and evil, are under your sovereign hand. We don't claim to understand how you, a holy God, can have anything to do with evil, but we know that you can use all that you've made to bring about your sovereign purposes. We thank you that you still remain a God of justice and we thank you that you've appointed Jesus as the judge of all the earth. We long for the day, Lord, when you'll set all things right. And we pray you'd help us to cry out to you in faith, that you'd help us to use what power we have to work for good, to have the obedience that comes from faith. Father, we pray that you'd keep us in this hope that we have grasped, that we might keep our eyes on you and long for the justice that you bring. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.